Welcome to Loving the Christ Life. Brad Wilson, welcome again. We love to have you with us every week. And please get on that phone real quick. Get on your computer, text your family and friends, and tell them we've got another great session from Warren Litzman as we continue this study into Out of Law into Grace. Very, very important study. So let's get started. Here's Warren. Now, if you will, take your Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians. During this weekend, I have attempted to talk to you about things concerning people who leave law and come into grace. That may have sounded like a strange subject to you, but I realize that most of the people that I talk to in meetings who have not yet seen the Christ life are people who are still under the law. Law is not bad. It brings us to Christ. But law is bad if those who have come to Christ continue in it because then they have become enemies of the cross. That's a statement that I make very important in Paul's message that there are people who were enemies of the cross. Didn't say they were unsaved, but they were enemies of the cross. I live in a generation right now among Christian, various Christian groups who have dropped the cross from their purposes, their motivation, and their platform for what for which they speak. And I, I think that's awful to give it good words, but you, you must uh, follow Paul in that way, that enemies of the cross are those who think there is some other way to come to God and some other way to serve God without cross being the platform for it, the, the foundation stone for it. And we're, li we're living in that day where that's, we're going to see that more and more. Uh, I'm often asked why television preachers don't preach on the cross much. It's because they have an audience that doesn't like, as one preacher said, they don't like anything bloody. <laughs> And you can't come to the cross without seeing the, the saving blood of Jesus Christ. So it has been my attempt to help people out of law into grace. And to help those that are in grace to understand more and more there is about being in the law. I make no pretense about it. I am very forceful on the subject that law keeps you from knowing Christ. How does it do that? You can talk about Christ endlessly, but law keeps you from knowing him because what you're doing is placing the stress on you, what you do, what you have to do. That's what law does for you. It brings you to the point that you are responsible. Well, when I found out that by God's grace, I was no longer responsible, that Christ lived in me, that made a big difference. As I often say, dealing with uh, druggies, uh, got the monkey off our back because in religion the monkey is still on people's back to do what they have to do to be saved and stay saved and if you told any one of them that they did that they would rebuke you but still the premise and platform is what we do to please God so I've attempted to stick with this subject today I climax it with a number of things that 
I think you have to consider if you're going to walk in grace. Now, people under the law are going to make heaven, many of them. Many of them are going to understand what it means to be born again on their part. Maybe not on God's part, but on their part. They're going to have words for all of these things and declare that's what they are. But still, to have the pure grace, and that's what Paul gives us. Paul gives us pure grace. I don't know any other term to put to it. But pure grace is one without any law in it. It's pure. You know, I can remember back when uh, milk companies had pure milk. In fact, there was one company around here called the Pure Milk, Com milk Company. That was before anything was added to it. Nowadays, they do something to it to keep it. You can get 1%, you can get 2%, you can get 3%, and that's kind of the way Christians have ended up. <laughs> We have Christians that are 1% in the law. We have some that are 2%. That's what I like best, is 2% milk. We have some that are 3%. But the, but the facts are, there's not a whole lot of pure milk left because it's all been connected with something else. I'm very careful about the gospel. I don't think we need a change in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I don't want a change in the gospel of Jesus Christ because every other gospel I hear that is not Paul's gospel doesn't set right anymore. The Holy Spirit did that to me. Thank, thank God he did that to me. It wasn't in my wisdom to do that because I've been under a number of different gospels. And you know, people all, always say there's only one gospel. That's, there's only one gospel. But by the time they get through talking, that one gospel is their gospel, which to me is another gospel. There is only one gospel, and that's Paul's gospel, that, because that gospel came by revelation. You see, you can take the scriptures and retranslate them and make anything you want to out of the scriptures, but you can't do Paul like that because he says, this was revealed to me. And he says that we can have the spirit of revelation. That we can come to knowing, knowing what? Direct from the Lord, you can come to knowing what the scriptures say. So I don't take a lot of time giving you the Greek, the background, the culture of the scriptures. And that's why I have urged you to stick with the old King James because you can read that and see it more perfectly than you can in Bibles with an agenda. And most all new Bibles that are translated have a special agenda. It's just hard to see it because it's so well protected and covered. I want you to understand that when you come into grace, some definite things happen. Now, I, I hate to have to say it like that because God's grace has been in your life since the minute you were saved and even before. I hear innumerable stories of people who had God's grace working in their life to bring them to Christ. They had God favoring them. They had God moving, doing things to them before they were even saved. I'm sure there's some of you, how many of you just on that thought could say, I know God was working in me long before I got saved. 
<coughs> but see, that wasn't, <coughs> that wasn't pure grace. In fact, that would be way down the line because you would never even credit that God protected me so I could get saved. You were still in your own selfish living and you figured that whatever you did was you. It was you that did it. But really God was behind it in many, many occasions in our life. So there are certain things you need to come to in order that the grace be pure, not entangled with the Old Testament. Now listen to me closely. The Old Testament is God's Word. The Old Testament is for everybody who opens this book. You can be saved by reading Genesis 1. You can be saved by reading Solomon's peculiar words. You can be saved anytime you invite Jesus to come into your life. You can be saved because the scriptures are for you. But not all scripture is to you. So when we say something about stay out of the Old Testament until you understand the gospel that has to do with your salvation, I'm sincere about it. Nothing is wrong with the scriptures that are for us. They're all there for us. None of us could have come this far without a lot of David's psalms. We've had little things we're attached to, but none of that was to us. You understand that? There is nothing in Moses' writings that are to us. It's to another group of people. It's to another group of people who are under a different walk with God. So when we say something about the Old Testament, we're don't not condemning it because I kind of get this from people where they say, well, he doesn't believe in the Old Testament anymore. Far from it. I believe in every word written in this book that it's God's word. You got that? It's God's word. Everything that's written in this book. But not all of it is to me. What God said to Abraham was personal and it was not to me. You understand that? What God said to Isaiah was wonderful. And I used to preach, I think, more out of Isaiah than any other one of the prophets. I love the things that Isaiah said because he prophesied the coming of Christ on the cross and even to his birth and a lot of wonderful things. But God never spoke to me like he spoke to Isaiah. And he never spoke to any of us prophetically. You know why? Because there is no prophecy in grace to be fulfilled. I know that comes as a burden to you to have to carry. But there is no prophecy in grace that has to be fulfilled. So when Paul led us into grace, you won't find a single prophecy yet to be fulfilled except maybe the rapture. I can make an exception because he's on three different occasions dealt with the rapture of the church but he never dealt with it prophetically as to say when it would happen, how it would take place, we'd just meet Jesus in the air, and we've all come up with different ideas about that. But that's good. We're going to meet him in the air one day. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. You know why we meet him in the air? He's not going to set foot on this earth to correct Israel until he gets the church out. 
so he'll not set foot on this earth until he comes back in the second coming and then Israel will be restored. The world will go under the law again. But you and I will be gone because we are bona fide birth children of God. Amen. And we will be taken out before all the rest of it takes place. And that, I say that because that puts a different light on the Old Testament. Because that means the Old Testament saints won't be in that rapture. They won't be. They'll come out in the fourth aspect of the re resurrection. And they will meet Israel on this earth and they will rule and reign on this earth even as many of us who go to the Father's house will. But they'll be on this earth because they're an earthly people. Why? Because they didn't know Christ was in them. It wasn't their place to know it. It wasn't their time to know it. I'm saying this because I don't want you to leave this conference with a different idea about the Old Testament. It's precious. It's good. God says many things there that will help us, but he says nothing there to us. Not even one prophecy prophesied that a people would come who would have Christ in them. The first time it was ever even mentioned was Jesus of Nazareth in Luke, in, uh, Luke 15 and, and uh, other places in John's gospel where he talks about the vine and the branch and where he talks about abiding in him. That's as close as Jesus got. Why? Because all of that hinged on the cross. That's why the Old Testament didn't carry this message. This message hinges on the cross. Why? The cross is the only thing Jesus was to do to perfect the plan of God. The cross is what Jesus had to do. He had to come to this earth and perfect it because in the original plan of God, as Peter tells us, the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. You get that? That's why the Old Testament is different. That's why the historical record of Jesus and the synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke are different. And that's why John's gospel is radically different from all the rest because it was written 30 years after Paul died and that made Paul's writings effective in John's life plus what he got from the Holy Spirit. But he wrote things that were not historical. They had to do with life, the abundant life of Jesus. That's different, you see. So don't leave here saying that there's something wrong with the Old Testament. Nothing wrong with it. It just doesn't apply to you. It doesn't have anything to do with you. You are a different group of people. There's not a birth. Get it now. There's not a birth child of God in the Old Testament. You understand that? Is that simple enough for you? They all have mamas and daddies that birthed them in the flesh, but there was not one birth child of God by God in the Old Testament. Now we have a couple of people that were kind of different than everybody else in the Old Testament, and that's Enoch and Elijah. They got out of this earth with a, a different plane. <laughs> 
but all the rest of them were not birthed by God and had no semblance of a difference in their life from Abraham all the way through Malachi. So the Old Testament is for us. Good illustrations there. Somebody asked me one time, what is a Christ life? And I knew by their asking I needed to frame it somehow and I could go to the Old Testament and frame it and say that most of us wandered in the wilderness for 40 years where we expected a miracle from God every day. But I said God's intention for us was to finally be prepared and ready to enter in to Canaan. What is a Christ life? It's the ultimate Canaan. Well, there's no in Christ there, but that's an explanation of what's happened to a lot of us. We got tired of wandering about in the wilderness, even though the preacher was saying there's a miracle every day for you, because there was something lacking. There was something we needed. And finally, when the Lord opened up Canaan's land, he only had two brothers that really got it. So they come to me and they say, well, how come so many more people don't have the Christ life message? Well, even with Israel, there was only two preachers that got a hold of it. You see? So there's not be a whole lot of people that want to move from what they are to what it is God wants. See, the Old Testament helped me there to see something. Well, don't go preaching that because if you don't add Christ to it, it's not very good. And you can't add Christ to that story. He's not available at that time. So I just wanted to put this to you that anybody that moves from law to grace and comes into pure grace has a great understanding that must come to them. It is a great understanding. What is the Christ life? It's a different understanding. I'll tell you that 90% of people who are saved, born again, have Christ in them. They have Christ in them. So what's the difference between them and some of you sitting in this room? It's understanding. It's knowledge. Paul would say, what you need is a mind of Christ. He'd say in another place, but you have the mind of Christ available. Don't be taken up with the things of the world, but be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You will find... Four words Paul uses constantly in his writings. They are the words knowledge, wisdom, understanding, and revelation. revelation. Thank you. Four words. What are those four words? They're all mind words. They're all mind words. Going deeper with God doesn't mean that God cuts out something out of you and puts something in there that's different. No, sir, you already got it. You already have everything God can give you. What you don't have is the understanding of it. You don't have a gospel to fit it. That's what's so bad about our modern day that multitudes of people don't have a gospel to fit even the things the preachers are saying because the gospel has been an agenda for most people trying to work out what it is in, that is in their doctrines. So when you come into Christ and his fullness, when Christ becomes all in all to you, 
when you're determined with Paul to know nothing save Jesus Christ and him crucified, when Christ is total everything, when all things made by him and for him and nothing is in existence aside for him, when you get ready to come into that walk with understanding, then there are certain things Paul lists in his epistles that are absolutely necessary for you to come to that understanding. Let me read the text, because I could go on here and forget all about it. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, a very popular verse. But here Paul says, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Now, I could spend all day long talking about these four points. But what I'm really interested in is the first word there, that Christ has been made unto us wisdom. The two words wisdom and knowledge are very important to God's plan. Knowledge is knowing what is in existence what has been said, what is being taught. That's knowledge. Wisdom is what to do with it. The scriptures make that plain. What to do with it, however, doesn't rest upon you. It rests upon the Christ in you. Some of us think we're real smart. I thought when I wrote my first books, I was real smart. Now look what I've done. But the more I write and the more I continue walking in Christ's spirit, I see that it's not me at all. That Christ has been made unto me wisdom. He has been made unto you to be your wisdom. Isn't that interesting? Before Christ come, it would be impossible for anybody to have that kind of wisdom. Now, Abraham knew godly things and wrote about them. Abraham did. How did he get them? The Spirit gave him that and he wrote. Isaiah knew great things. The Spirit gave to him the message and he wrote. But with you and I, who have been birthed by God, born again, the wisdom doesn't come from us because there is nothing that has happened to us on God's part, none of his favor, none of his miracles, none of his birthing, that we could understand within ourselves. Try to get this now. Why do we have the Holy Spirit? We have a duality of spirits in every one of us. The Holy Spirit works in our soul teaching us Christ who is in our spirit. So when the scripture says, if any man have not Christ's spirit, he's none of his, he's not talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about Christ's spirit that have made us one of God's children, yeah. one of his. The Holy Spirit can't do that. He cannot make us one of God's. He can tell us what to do 
He can tell us how to do it. He can teach us. He can train us. He can be with us when we need help in knowing something, but he cannot make us one of his. So when somebody comes to you and says, well, it's just all the Holy Spirit. He took the place of Jesus, and Jesus has no spirit. It just didn't make sense to me because there's not one verse of Scripture that says that, mm -hmm. that I know of. So wisdom is coming from the Christ within you. Why doesn't it always work? Why do we have such stupid preachers, me being one of them? Why are preachers so stupid? People sit in congregations and see things and understand things that the preacher never talks about. Have you had that experience? Why didn't he go on? The Lord showed me something over here. Why didn't he talk about it? It's because preachers very often don't take the word seriously. They take what a commentator said and take what some of their predecessors said. But they don't have that wisdom. They don't have the wisdom from Christ. Now, every one of you have that. You got wisdom. So when you do a stupid thing, you have ignored Christ. <laughs> I see it when we have gatherings like this. We have some people who do stupid things. They get up and talk about things that don't have anything to do with Christ. And I try to make that clear every time I get near the subject. Talk about Jesus. I don't want to hear about somebody else. Talk about Jesus. Why? That's life. There's no life in Isaiah. There's no life in Abraham. There's no life in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The life is in the Son. He that hath the Son has life. He that hath not the Son hath not life. Don't talk to me about things that don't have life in it. Amen? Amen. Get to the point. That's what Christ's wisdom in you do, does do. <laughs> That's what his wisdom does. It keeps you talking about something that's important. When you witness, it's Christ that needs to come forward. When you make a witness usually to somebody in America, the first thing they say is, well, what church you go to? They, go, they want to get you pegged because they know. They know what the Lutherans believe. They know what the Presbyterians believe. Uh, sinners know what Baptists believe, and sinners sure know what Pentecostals believe. They're spread out over everything. But that's not what the wisdom of Christ would talk about. Jesus isn't here to talk to people about how to solve all their doctrinal problems. He's in you to bring forth what he is, who he is. Because it is you knowing who he is that makes you who you are. Amen. Wisdom, the wisdom of Christ. It's his wisdom. We could talk about these other things. Some groups are all hung up on sanctification. And they've got books written on how to be sanctified. When Paul simply says here, those that are in Christ have the sanctification of Christ. The trouble is not that we need sanctification. We got it. We just don't know what to do with it. We don't have wisdom. See? And most of all, the biggest thing God 
cured in this book was that he took righteousness away from what men did. And this verse says Christ has been made unto us righteousness. That's something you need to get fixed in you. That's the big difference between the Old Testament and the New. To be righteous in the Old Testament, you had to obey God. You had to do something. In the New Testament, the moment you got saved, Christ was made unto you righteousness. But those are not my subject. My subject is wisdom here. Certain things you need to know how to use because you have them. I've never come out in this message and said that the only way to be saved is to get this message. I can't do that because people were saved in many different churches, many different denominations, many different ways. Some on the battlefield, some on hospital beds dying. People get saved in all kinds of ways. Because Paul was the first to say, only believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. So anybody can get saved. Not because they're in the right place, hearing the right gospel, doing the right thing. They're saved because of what Jesus did at the cross. Amen. And God uses that. He never uses anything that we do as his reason. You understand that? Never do. I, it's... I used to years ago hear people watching television. There'd be maybe some singers out of Nashville or hillbilly singers from the hills somewhere. And they'd just be overwhelmed by these dear singers. And they'd say, oh, if God had just saved those people, how blessed they'd be. Well, you know, a lot of them did get saved. Never heard about it. Some of them, when they died, wrote it in their book. But that isn't the way God operates. It's whosoever believeth. It's not what you can do. For we get the idea that God needs that person. God needs that person. Who is it God really needs? Does he need a bigger voice than what we have in the scripture? Does he need somebody bigger than Paul in the New Testament? Does he need somebody bigger than Moses throughout the Old Testament? No. He chooses whom he uses. So wisdom is something we come to. And I, I have always premised this, as I brought out many times before, about this wisdom. If you would, and you take what I'm saying seriously here today, I want you to go to the second chapter of 1 Corinthians, not now, and I want you to read it. I'm going to ask you to read it three times. I know that's a crippling thing for most of you because you don't have three times, what is it? It'll take you five or minutes or so to read that. But that second chapter is the key to grace. It gives us the wisdom we need to understand how we are saved by grace and kept saved by grace. Well, that's it for another week. We're going to stop right here, but we'll pick off next week at the same spot as we continue to hear this great, great message from Warren Litzman regarding Out of Law into Grace. Wow, what a great series. Hey, please visit our website, if you will, christ-life.org, christ-life.org. Read all about us and go to our bookstore and look at some of the wonderful material that Warren Litzman left behind. Such a blessing for all of us today. And, you know, one of my favorites is the book on Paul. 
you get a chance, check that out. It's terrific. Well, we're going to see you next week. In the meantime, we want to thank Robbie Litzman for allowing us to go into the archives each week. Valerie Hill does our Twitter account. Tammy Laycock does the weekly podcast notes. And this podcast is produced each week by the talented Teresa Ferraro from the Christ Life Fellowship. Until next time, I'm Brad Wilson, loving the Christ life.